0: Well, many of you know this week marks the first Sunday of Lent, which is the 40 day period that leads up to Easter. And so, if you're newer to the church, maybe you're connecting with us from afar, from got some folks from like Kentucky and Missouri and Washington with us this morning. We've often used Lent as a time to recalibrate our prayer practices and maybe try and heighten our awareness of God. In a lot of Christian traditions, people give up something for Lent, right? So maybe you grew up in a Catholic um, tradition and maybe you didn't eat meat on Fridays. That's a pretty common custom. We don't do that as a community, but that might be familiar to you. Well, since the middle ages, a lot of the churches used these six weeks of Lent to reflect on like humanity's sinful condition. Um, but Ken and I, we find that to be a little bit of a less helpful message to ritualize for our particular church, just given that queer people and other minorities are far too often given the message that they're sinful by the church in a way that is weaponized and unhealthy. So we tend more toward like the earliest roots of Lent, which was used to remind humans of our mortality and help us be humble and knowing that we're creatures and we're connected to the rest of creation, right? From dust we come and to dust we shall return. We're limited creatures in need of a loving God. But I thought, you know, I think we just need to be honest this year. I feel like life is one big Lent right now, right? We have faced our mortality all year. We have been humbled. I think we're pretty clear that we're creatures. We've given up a lot of stuff already. And energy for recalibrating practices, I think, is fairly depleted for a lot of people at this point. So we found ourselves in these, like, huge historical moments. And so we've been swimming in the shallow end of grief a lot of days, even when we're not always aware of that fact, even when it's not conscious. So I think that maybe this year is a year that we can relieve some of the pressure of adding something to our routine and think a little bit more about creating space to breathe, right? Creating space to notice where God is at work and to notice love and to name that aloud, both for ourselves and others, just that hope and that joy that we see. And not to do it in like a systematic way that adds something to our daily like to do list, but just in like this mindful way without pressure. A little bit like what we talked about when we did the Ecclesiastes sermon that we just or the sermon series that we just finished. Right. Where the author of that book just kind of encourages us to eat and drink and be merry. Just pay attention to the small joys of life. So this might not be true for you. Um, But for me, I've noticed like a lot of emotions flowing through my body, especially in these last two months. And I keep reminding myself that this is probably like the worst of the pandemic right now. And especially those of us who are in Michigan, who are in like, you know, the deep throes of winter. And so like when it's a negative degrees out, like even this morning, I think it was the wind chill was negative six. It's just been brutal the last week. It makes it just a little bit harder to do things like go out and take walks and be in the sun a little bit, like those things that help us with coping, or at least things that help me with coping. And yet, even like in the throes of winter like that, I think there's like enough hope on the horizon that I'm noticing that my body is starting to feel safe enough to start to process some of the grief and the anxiety that it's been holding on to over the last few months from this collective trauma, like Rachel's vaccinated. My parents have their um, their schedule, to, they have an appointment to go get a vaccine. Other people that I know and love have that. So there's like these little bits of hope that we're starting to see. And I'm noticing it in my body, like I'm quicker to cry. I'm also just like a little bit harder to motivate. I don't know if some of you are noticing that, but just like my creative energy is definitely smaller. I, I describe it like I feel I'm fully functional, but I'm just kind of blah. And I found this science writer who she actually wrote last fall, but she wrote something that resonated with me and I thought it might resonate with some of you as well. I'm going to copy and paste it here into the chat. She said, I know depression, but this wasn't quite that. And I'll just add like, I know depression as well. It's not exactly that. She says it's an anxiety tainted depression mixed with ennui that I can't kick along with a complete inability to concentrate. I don't think I have a complete inability to concentrate, but I definitely resonate with that sense of ennui and this just sort of inability to sort of focus. Yeah, I'm seeing some of you guys are also feeling that. It's like malaise, and it's related to the long-term effects from this last year. The same writer, I'm actually going to put a link to the entire article because I found it helpful. It was from last August, actually, but the author quotes Dr. Ann Maston, who's a psychologist at the University of Minnesota, and she's talking about how our surge capacities are depleted. That's the word that she used, our surge capacities. So like at the beginning of this, which was, oh my gosh, almost a year ago, our bodies gave us doses of adrenaline and cortisol and things at the beginning of the crisis that help us adapt. But then after a few months, those start to deplete, right? And it's different for different bodies. But at a certain point, you just kind of start to feel just blah. And so I don't want to like sit in the blah this morning, but I do want to name it because I think it can make us feel left alone in that for those of you who might also be feeling it. And then just share a little bit about the spiritual practice that's been most helpful to me this year. And that's the practice of, I don't know, call it mindfulness, call it wonder, But I've found that that's been my most natural spiritual response. And yours might be different. But for me, it's been walking in the park almost every day. And when it got too cold, my wife, Rachel, brilliantly suggested that I order ski pants, which has helped me just be able to be out longer. I'm like, how have I lived in Michigan this long and not had ski pants? It's been a lifesaver, just looking at the trees and noticing how they change over the seasons and the river and getting to know the birds there. And like yesterday, I took a walk, um, you know, it's been negative degrees out here. But yesterday was actually kind of nice. So I walked in our neighborhood. And I noticed people's backyards. So we've got like 10 inches of snow on the ground, for those of you not in southeast Michigan. And it's been sunny. So there's this weird effect that happens when you have that much snow, and then you get sun. And it's like, the sun sort of melts down the top of the snow and you get this really smooth effect. So if you don't have like a dog, you've got this really smooth looking like fabric almost in people's backyards. And the sun on that is just absolutely gorgeous, right? So it's like paying attention in this heightened way and allowing myself to just kind of stop and linger and look. And I don't say this in a way of like, okay, you need to add walking and observing to your schedule, but just like more of like an invitation that if you're not already doing it, to give yourself some breaks in the day to stop and to breathe, and to just pay attention to beauty in whatever way that you do that. And I think the Psalms are particularly good at articulating this part of our spirituality. It's part of why I think Ken and I have been sort of in the Psalms and the writings here during the the fall and winter a lot, because I think that's maybe most helpful for this particular moment in our history. And in the Psalms, uh, King David is credited with writing a lot of them. And how many of them we actually wrote, we don't know. But what we do know about David was that he was a musician and he was a poet in addition to being a leader. And something that the Bible calls him has always been a little bit captivating to me. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And I always thought that was kind of a beautiful thing to say about a person. Like I always thought I would be really honored if one day I was described as like a woman after God's own heart. And I think that David is described this way maybe in part because he has this heart of wonder, right? He doesn't gloss over the icky parts of his writing. He's got lots of angry writings and parts of his life like he, he was not always a great human. But he's also filled to overflowing with awe and beauty. And I think this reflects God's heart of wondering. Like there are other Psalms that describe like God themselves being filled with wonder at the creation. Okay, so we'll read one of those together a little bit later during our meditation about like God being in awe of us. But it's this element of like God's nature that David reflects and is remembered for, I think even reverenced for. So I'm gonna read just a little bit of Psalm 65. This is verses eight to 13. I'll put it into the chat here. And I'll let you um, just listen to it. If you're by a window, it might be worth just kind of looking out the window and hearing David. It says, the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and you water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for you have so ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow and the hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. And we remember that David earlier in his life was a shepherd. So he was outdoors. And so it's during his work day that he took the time to notice the world around him. So I've been reading that people who are working from home actually are working longer hours than they used to in the before times. Right. So maybe it's an encouragement that between meetings, if you've been feeling that malaise, just release any guilt you might have about just getting up and walking or looking out the window or whatever's helpful to you. I also thought just on a practical level, we can also extend that sense of wonder to our partners and to our children and the other people in our lives. Right. So some of us have been going to work in, you know, to offices or retail spaces for these last few months. Um, while some of us have been holed up at home with our family members and our housemates, or if you live alone, maybe just your plants and your pets. So if you live with someone, and I would say, especially if that person is a partner or child, you might find yourself just like a little more on edge with them at this stage in the pandemic, right? You've spent a lot of time together. And so I just wanted to remind people that if if you've heard of this, um, take it as a reminder. If you haven't, maybe it's helpful. There's a couple named John and Julie Gottman founded the Gottman Institute. And I'm going to put that into the chat. I think Ken actually told me about the Gottman Institute like 20 years ago. Their findings are helpful. So John and Julie Gottman, who founded this institute, they tell us that being curious about our partners is crucial to long-term relationship success, right? So through decades of studying couples and studying like how couples fight and how they make up, They found that the number one indicator of relationship health is actually how responsive people are to each other's bids for attention. And when I talk about bids for attention, we're talking about like the small everyday bids. Right. So, like an example, like Rachel and I get up every morning and we usually have our coffee and we sit on the couch and read the paper and our various devices. She's usually up half an hour to an hour before me, but even so, we're usually sitting there looking at our our stuff and Maybe you're both engaged in your own thing and somebody is reading and suddenly they're like, whoa, or they laugh or they're like, "Ooh, that's weird, right? That's a bid for the other person to say, hey, tell me more. What's up? What's funny, right? Tell me more about what you're reacting to. Another example might be like somebody's looking out the window and says, man, that cardinal is really gorgeous, right? That's a little bid to have you engage in coming and enjoying that with them. If you got little kids, it's your toddler asking you to pick them up and swing them around for the hundredth time or your spouse asking you to taste the sauce that they're cooking. Or if you live alone, it might be like your friends or your siblings sending you a funny text, right? Not like an informational text like, oh, meet me at six. That doesn't that doesn't need a response, but like something that's hilarious. Right. That's a bid for connection. And so it's all of these little mundane bids for connection that are scattered throughout the day. And so if you're like a focused worker and your partner or your kids are vying for your attention, it might feel a little annoying, right? And sometimes a bid for connection is taking place at like an inappropriate time and you can put boundaries around that. But most often it's just a small bid that can be easily responded to, even if it means like putting your phone down for a minute. All right? So the Gottmans tell us that Fighting actually isn't necessarily an indication of a poor relationship. Like a lot of couples learn to fight fairly and are just like high conflict couples. But what is an indication of a poor relationship is one where bids for attention are most often ignored or berated, right? So you make a little bid for attention and you're just like, God, why are you bothering me? And every relationship has a little bit of that. So, But the most successful couples, and they define success, by like both happiness and longevity, so people who stay together and report that they're happy, uh, the most successful couples respond positively to about 85 to 90% of each other's bids for connection. Right, so I just wanna put out there that if you're finding your relationships are a little bit harder right now, maybe just consider putting on some rose colored glasses with your housemates or your friends and pay attention to responding to them in these little bids and then have a sense of wonder about whatever it is that they're trying to connect over, right? And so the more positive connections we build up, the more we sort of respond and wonder to them, the, the safer and the more loved that we feel, feel in our relationships. So that can take a little bit more time to rebuild, but that's, that's something, especially if you're stuck in your house for another month or two, but wondering about our friends and family might be helpful. So with that, we're going to have a little meditation time. And what I'd like to do is I, w- I was actually surprised this week. We had our Ash Wednesday service online. And as part of that, we read out Psalm 139, quite a lot of it. And I found that as I was reading my half of it, the first half, I was actually getting kind of like tears, getting a little clumped as I read it, which is unusual for me. And I thought, okay, there's a little something going on here that I feel like I'm needing to hear personally. And I thought that might be helpful for us. And it's a Psalm that's, it's just talking about how God um, is searching for us and knows us and and wants to be with us, not in like a creepy, I see you when you're sleeping, I know when you're awake kind of way, you know, but like in this, I think it's a way of God, like wondering at us and allowing us to sort of open up when we feel safe. So what I'm going to do is invite you to just get yourself in a place of relaxation. Feel free to you can look out the window, you can close your eyes. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses. And then we're going to spend a minute just kind of sitting with God in that awareness of God with us and searching us and wondering about us. Okay, a couple deep breaths in, maybe in through your nose, out through your mouth. I always have to loosen my neck a little. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So let's just spend about a minute in silence, just being aware of that, like God with us. I think for me, the, the part was just this like, oh, there's a God who cares about me in the midst of this. So let's just sit with that, like God wondering at us, inviting us to open to God's self and just receiving the care of God. Go ahead. Let me just end by saying something that we often say here, and that's that we need connection with God more than we need answers. And so if you're feeling the need for that kind of care from the divine, like maybe make some bids this week or see if maybe God is making some bids toward you, pay attention to that connection. All right.